right. Merry Christmas, everybody. I'll tell you what, I do. I, I, I love Christmas, but I, I particularly love Christmas uh, here at Community, and uh, there is no place anywhere in the whole world I'd rather be than with you all right now. And um, one of the things I love about Christmas is, you know, you, you notice our kids got to be up here and sing on the stage the last couple of weeks? Well, they, that was terrific, wasn't it? And uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we actually had record crowds like the last two weeks, and so I'm thinking maybe we ought to have the kids sing every Sunday, <laughs> you know? A little less talking, more kids. Maybe that's the formula, you know. That, <laughs> watch it. Watch it. All right. That was kind of like. <laughs> uh, here's my question. How many of you, were, as a kid, were ever in a Christmas program? Ever in a Christmas program or some kind of Christmas production, Christmas play? All right. When I was a kid, one of the things we did, it, it, we always had, like, we would reenact the Christmas story. We'd reenact the full Christmas story. And whenever they were passing out parts, the one part that you always wanted uh, as, a, as a little guy was, was there was one part that was kind of cooler than all the rest, and that was the wise men. Right? I mean, you wanted to be one of the wise If you're going to be in the Christmas play, you had to have a part. You wanted to be one of the wise men. Because, I mean, like angels, you don't want to be an angel, right? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's for the girls, right? You don't want to be an angel. Joseph, I mean, Joseph, I mean, he doesn't have any lines. It's kind of a good part, but you have to be married. So as a fourth grade guy, you don't want to be married. So no, that's out. Right? Mary, now that's a big part, but Mary, no. No, no to Mary. Now shepherds, shepherds weren't bad, right? Shepherds, was, that's kind of a good part as a guy. But it's really totally a backup role to what? Wise men, right? I mean, the wise men, def- I mean, the wise men, you got to wear the crown. The wise men, you got to have the gifts. Wise men even had their own song, Right? They got their own song. I mean, wise men were just, without a doubt, the coolest part in the whole Christmas play. And how, how many of you uh, got to go to Let It Be Christmas? How many of you got to see the, our production Let It Be Christmas? Yeah, it was terrific. I thought it was terrific. A whole bunch of you, well, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, it sold out Friday night, sold out Saturday night. Just did a, they did a great job. But you may not have known this, but Alec Bramlett, who is the director, and Eric Bramlett, his brother, who is the producer... And so they get to cast the whole play, right? Those two guys. So what two parts do you think they cast themselves in? <laughs> if you saw it, they were two of the three wise men. That's right, because that's always the coolest part. So here's the great news, okay? I got some great news for you this morning. All of you are getting your big break. And I know you've been waiting for this, some of you, for 30, 40, 50 years. This is your big break. You get to be a wise man. Woo! Are you pumped? All right. So I'll tell you what, if you're going to be a wise man, here's what I need you to do. I need everybody to stand up. Everybody stand up. You're going to be a wise man. I'm going to cast you as a wise man. Now, you need to know something about it. You've been traveling now for about eight or 900 miles, right? And you're on a search, and this search is taking you to, to Jerusalem where you meet Herod. Eventually, you're going to come across the Christ child. Now, if you're going to be wise men and you're on this search, I mean, we have to have a star, right? You have to have a star. Is it possible? Oh, look at that. It's almost like we planned it. So, I mean, you've got, you got a star, and, and of course, you have to have your song, right? You've got the big song if you're going to be the stars of the show. So we, I need a musician. I can't do this. If I only had, if I only had a musician, is there? Oh. Would, would you mind? All right, here we go. Let's welcome our musician. Here we go. So we're going to do a little We Three Kings. Can, can we do that, Lucas? Yes. Yes, we can. All right, good answer. I don't know what I would have done if you would have said No. <laughs> So here's what I need you to do. Now, you got, you got four things to remember. You got this, you got the crown. Go ahead and do this crown right there after the crown. Then you got the gifts. You got the gifts. This is good. You got your good. I thought some of you would think you were too cool for this. I like it. Nice. All right, then you got the marching. Marching. All right, there you go. And then yonder star. Point to the star. That's the big part, okay? 
So we're going to sing We Three Kings. This, this is going to be the rehearsal coming now. You've got to remember those four parts. And then after that comes the big production, which I want you to shine. All right? So here we go. Can we do this? Yeah. All right, so here we go. We three kings got to sing it for it are Bearing gifts we traverse so far Field and fountain, moor and mountain Following yonder star Okay, we were kind of tentative, weren't we? I, know, I, know. I even felt a little tentative. I was a little talented. I wasn't bringing my A game, was I? I got to want it. I got to want it. All right, and don't forget, how you end the show is always how people remember it. So you got to be following one yonder star. Give it a little of that, you know? Okay? So here we go, okay? I'm ready to bring my A game this time. Yes. Okay, here we go. Ready? This is our performance. Last chance. Three kings of Orient are Bearing gifts we traverse so far Field and mountain, moor and mountain Following yonder star All right, give yourself a hand. Nice job. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. Good job, good job. Now, so here we are. We're all magi, right? We've all been cast. We're playing the part of magi. We're playing the part of the wise man. We're going on that search. And here's what Matthew says about this search. And we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2, and it begins like this. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. I just had to get the Star Wars reference out of the way. I mean, I know you're there. Here's what he says. Check out this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's the wise men, from the east, that's our part, came to Jerusalem and asked, Who is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Now, if you're going to be the wise men, right? If you're going to be the wise men, you need to know some truth about the wise men. First of all, let's kind of clarify a few things. How many wise men were there? All right, that's kind of a common notion, right? That there were three wise men. Why do we think there were three wise men? Well, we think there were three wise men because we sang, just saying, we, three kings, right? We just sang that part, right? Every card has three wise men on it, right? Every Christmas card, every, every play, you always have three. We don't really know if there were three, to be honest with you. Now, we do know there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Wiseman, there might have been five, might have been 50, might have been 500. We don't really know. Now, why do we think they're from the Orient? Again, we three kings from Orient, are we just saying, okay. The Bible actually says they were from the East. So somehow someone assumed if they were from the East, they must have been from the Orient. But that'd be like if you had a friend who, you know, came in town for the holidays from New York, and you're introducing some folks, says, well, where are you from? Well, I'm from back East. And he means New York, and they go, oh, you mean China. No. <laughs> right? No. So the best, the best we can tell, scholars can tell, it was probably ancient Persia, which would be kind of modern-day um, Iran or Iraq, but we don't really know exactly for sure. Now, as wise men, the greatest myth, the greatest myth of all, is that these wise men who came to visit Jesus, they would have actually been welcomed and honored by everybody. Not necessarily so. Now, they were nobility back in their own, own home country, but now, coming into the land where Jesus was born, they were considered foreigners. They, they would actually be uh, sometimes even referred to as dogs. Um, they would have been greeted with great suspicion, and nobody would have thought they had a part in God's story, certainly not in a, in a kind of a religious setting. So that's your part. You're the wise men. Now, every good actor, every good actress has to know this. What's my motivation, Right? 
What's my motivation? Why? What, 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 what's, what's making me, my heart beat? Why am I a part of this? So ask yourself, why did, why did you, as this irreligious outsider, play such an important part in the Christmas story? Why did you, as this irreligious outsider, play such an important part in the Christmas story? Well, if we go back and look, Matthew actually explains, and he gives us some cues in a few short words. Here's what he says. He says, the wise men came from the east asking, where is the baby? We are on a pilgrimage to worship him. The wise men remind us of this, that all of us, all of us are on a pilgrimage to worship. All of us. And I know that sounds kind of strange in the 21st century, but every one of us, from the inside out, from the depths of our soul, we are looking for something or someone to worship. One, one author explained worship this way, and I never heard it quite this way until he said it. He said this. You can take a look. He says, worship is our response to what we value the most. Worship is our response to what we value the most. And I started thinking about this. Our response to things that we value, our response, our reaction, how we respond to things we value the most. Let's just imagine this. Let's imagine that all of a sudden, coming right down this aisle right here, right down this aisle here, suddenly was somebody carrying the Stanley Cup trophy. Mm. It's got a red Blackhawk sweater on, and it's Jonathan Taze. No kidding, Jonathan Taze in the yellow, block, in the, in the yellow box is here with, with, the, with, the, with the Stanley Cup. He's carrying it over his head, right? He walks down this aisle. Pretty soon, all of a sudden, Jeff sees what's going on back in the back, and he puts on the Chelsea Dagger song, right? Dun, 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 dun. And it's John, everybody begins to recognize him. You know what's going to happen in this room pretty soon? Nobody's paying attention to me anymore, right? Pretty soon, this whole place just erupts, and we're all clapping together, right? We're singing, dun, 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 because we're responding, right, to something that we value. Now, this may be your first time in church, maybe in forever. You may feel ambivalent about religion. But please, work with this premise. Everybody worships. We are wired as human beings to respond to the things that we value the most. There's a guy named David Foster Wallace, kind of an accomplished author, by no means a religious man. But he gave this commencement address, and it caught my attention, and he talks about worship. Almost really from a secular sense. But I, I want to share with you what, what, what he has to say. He says this, and it, it's a, kind of a lengthy quote, but I want, I want us to kind of to work through it. He says, everybody worships. Everybody worships. Then he goes on and says, the only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else will eat you alive. Then he goes on to name some things. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap Romanian life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. If you worship your own body, you worship beauty, you worship sexual allure, you're going to always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. If you worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. If you worship intellect, he says, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid or afraid, always on the verge of being found out. And then he kind of this crescendo says, look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil, not that they're sinful, but they are unconscious. They are default settings. 
I'm telling you, work with this truth. No matter where you are in your spiritual we all worship. Everybody worships. Churchgoers worship, non-churchgoers worship. Um, religious worship, non-religious, irreligious. We, irreligious, we all worship. And just like the wise men, we're, we're, we're on this quest. We're on the quest for something or someone to worship. And I love what he says there. Let's do it intentionally. Let's pick something on purpose, not by default. Because there is, there is inside of you, and I, I think you're going to resonate with, there is a craving inside of you. There's like a gravitational pull that worship has on us. We cannot not worship. And the question becomes, then what will we worship? And for, our, and for this morning, I think our question is this. What will we worship first and best? What will we worship first and best? Well, as we continue this journey as wise men, right? We continue this journey, all of a sudden we come to Jerusalem. We get to Jerusalem, and there's Herod. Matthew describes the next part of his, his journey this way in verses 3 through 7. He says, when Herod heard the news, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born, in Bethlehem of Judea. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Well, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that that star had appeared. Now, enter this character, Herod. If you know anything about Herod, there's three things that Herod valued most. He valued most, first of all, power, secondly, prosperity, and thirdly, pleasure. He, he valued, in fact, he valued those things so much. If you go back and read some, some kind of some history about him in particular, he had this mountaintop for, fortress. He lived in an incredible extravagance, this lavish palace. And he did everything he needed to to protect his power, his prosperity, and pleasure. In fact, at one point, this king, he felt threatened by, uh, by his two sons, his own sons. You know what he does? He has them murdered. He kills them to protect his power, his prosperity, and his pleasure. Well, now comes the word that this baby, Jesus, is born. And the Magi, the wise men, what we've been saying is, hey, we think this guy might be the king of the Jews. And so Herod's like, hmm, king of the Jews? I'm the king. I'm the king. This could be a problem. I'm the king. Know this for a fact. On your journey through life, we're all going to meet our own Herods. What we're going to meet is something or someone who wants to be king. Something or someone who wants to be first and best when it comes to our worship. Uh, I can tell you of, about a young lady who uh, the most important thing in her life is finding a guy. It, it is the most important thing. And there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with, with trying to find a guy. But it's become what she values the most. And so she's jumped from relationship to relationship to relationship, from the arms of one man to the next, to the next, to the next. See, worship is our response to what we value the most. I can tell you about a guy who's had a roller coaster career in business, made a million, lost a million, made it again, and is on the verge of losing it again. And here's the thing, I, I got no problem with making money. I think, I mean, if you're in business, I think you ought to make money. That's what you're supposed to do. Make money, make a lot of it, and use it for great good. I mean, that's part of your calling. But in this particular case, as best I can tell, it's, it's closing the deal, it's winning, it's keeping score with big numbers. That's what he values the most. Worship is our response to what we value the most. And there are addictions 
that we turn to over and over again on a daily basis? A bottle? Or pills? Or pornography? Or just swiping that credit card? Being online? And we do it over and over again. It takes up so much time in our everyday life that it's hard to ignore that worship is our response to what we value the most. Let me, let me ask you this. What is it for you? What is it for you that becomes that default setting that you, if you don't do it intentionally, you're going to worship first and best? See, I think that's why this O Holy Night has changed so many lives. Because this O Holy Night, what it does, it causes us to kind of intentionally say, okay, what, am, what is going to get my best and get my first worship? How am I going to respond to this Christ child? How am I going to respond to Jesus? In Matthew chapter 2, 9 through 11, the wise men continue their journey. And it says this. It says, after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they'd seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they what? Worshipped him. I find it very interesting, the response of both Herod and the wise men to Jesus. Herod, on the one hand, he sees Jesus as a threat to his life. He sees Jesus as kind of as a threat to his kingdom, his power, his prosperity, his pleasure, an interference with his life. In fact, so much so, that just like he did with his own sons, he actually commissioned that, that they slaughter every child in the, in the whole area around Bethlehem that was born around the time of Jesus. And when you think about Herod, you know how he responds to Jesus? He responds with a closed fist. Go ahead and do that before me. Just go ahead and make it closed fist. That's, when you think of Herod, think closed fist. But then when you think about the wise men, when you think about the wise men, and they finally follow that star, and their search comes to this kind of this culmination the wise men instead, they respond with this, right? Bended knee. And I think in many ways, I think that's kind of the, the choice we have to make when we come to the to grips with this oh holy night. How are we going to respond? I mean, there, kind of, there really isn't any in between, is there? Do we respond with a, a bended knee and say, you know what, this really is. Jesus is God, and if he's God, that makes him Lord of all things, including my life. Or... Do we see him as an interference? Do we see him as a threat? And we respond with a closed fist. Maybe you've noticed sometimes around here, when, uh, and even this morning, I was kind of looking around. You know, some people, when we have what we call even worship time, right? You, you may notice, and this may be kind of different for you, but you'll notice some people, I mean, they're, they're really into it. I mean, it's like they're, they're, they have their eyes closed. Sometimes their hands are lifted up. Some people are clapping. And you can feel what's actually happening there. Let me interpret it for you. For some folks, that's, that's how they respond, right, to what they value the most. Does that make sense? How they respond to what they value the most. And I know for others of you, and I had you, I've had you come and talk to me. It, it, you, you come into this space and you're going, Dave, I don't quite understand it, but somehow I, I, I feel things I don't normally feel. I find myself sometimes even being emotional. I find myself sometimes even crying uh, and I don't, I don't normally respond like that. What's going on? 
And let me, let me just kind of interpret your own feelings for you. Because what's happening when you come in this space and, and you begin to feel things of hope or joy, you feel like, wow, there's something bigger than me, or, and, and, and there's even a, an appropriate kind of smallness about who you are, and you begin to feel the things like that. You know what that is? That is your soul. That is your soul within you. You're not your brain, but your soul saying, this is something worth worshiping. It is your soul saying, this is someone who should be first and best of your worship. And like the Magi, I'm telling you, all of us, we're all on a journey. And the journey is not necessarily in miles, but it's in experiences, it's in struggles, it's in challenges. And this journey has brought you in this room here today. And just like those wise men, it has brought you into the presence of Jesus, just like he was here 2,000 years ago. And we all have a choice. We have a choice on a daily basis. Do I respond to Jesus with a closed fist? Now it's going to be my way. I'm going to be king. Or do we respond on bended knee? And here's what I think, too. I think every one of us, I think every one of us, deep down in our souls, we know, we know we cannot get through this life, and we know we definitely can't get through the next life on our own. And that somewhere along the way, we need to bend a knee. I think we just, I think there's something, something inside of us that intuitively knows that. I remember, um, this has been several years ago, but my, my wife Sue had a biopsy. And we went home and we waited on the results. The phone rang and uh, I answered the phone. It was the doctor. The doctor said, well, we need you, actually the doctor's office. The doctor's office said, we need you to come in to find out the results. I said, well, could you just tell us now, and then we'll come in. And on the other end, they said, no, uh, the doctor needs to tell you himself, so you're going to have to come in. And with that, I was going, oh, this can't be good. Well, by God's grace, things were good. It was okay. But in that moment, I mean, I didn't know. And you know what? You know what my response was in that moment? What do you think my response was? Bended knee. Bended knee. I remember I was, a, I, was a, I, was a, I was in college and I had kind of my whole, kind of what I thought my life planned out, the trajectory of how things were going to go, and all of a sudden things went kind of high, haywire my senior year. Actually, in the middle of my senior year, I ended up transferring from one college to another college and I had to repeat a, another year and a half of school and just, I was obviously not in control at all. And I remember after all that went down, my, 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 my reaction, I, I still remember the exact place, was this. All right, God. Open hands and bend a knee. The, uh, the very first, ser- the very first uh, service um, on March 5th of 1989 that we had for Community Christian Church, uh, I got up to speak, and I, I knew... I mean, I, I had confidence in the leadership gifts that God had given to, given to me, but I, I knew that I couldn't lead and do what God wanted to do through, through this church all on my own. And so literally, I mean, the very first service before I ever spoke, I mean, I said, you know what, let's just pause for a second. And I, I just like this, I got, on my, I got on my knees and I said, okay, God, you do what only you can do. And while I, while I don't begin every message that way these days, um, if you were with me 
earlier this morning, I get here about 7 o'clock, and I practice this talk a couple different times, and up in room 214, where nobody else is, as I'm practicing this talk, um, the last thing I do before I leave and I come down here, every Sunday, is I get on bended knee and say, okay, God, okay, you do what only you can do. See, I think all of us, I think all of us know that we can only go so far in this life and certainly the next life, and that at some point we have to have a bended knee. I'm going to ask the band to come on out. We've kind of built this whole series around the, the song and some of the, the real profound theological truths that um, are part of the song, Oh Holy Night. And what they're going to do is they're going to perform both for God, but also for you, this song, Oh Holy Night. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. But as they sing the song, they're going to get the, there's a certain point in the song where the, you know, it's kind of almost crescendo. It says, fall on your knees. And I kind of tried to walk around the auditorium, and I, you know what, I'm, truthful, truth be known, it's going to be hard for you to get on your knees. But I'm going to ask you, for some of you, if you're able and you feel like that's what you need to do, because I think there's sometimes where we need those marker events in our life where we say, you know what, no, you're God, you're Lord, you get my first and best worship. It'll be good for you when you get to that part just to go to take a knee, if you can, if you can. And I'll tell you what, if, if for some reason you can't, or maybe it's for you it's just like an, an open fist, like open palms like this to God, not a closed fist. But what I want for this, I want this to be a marker for you in your own spiritual journey where you come, just like those wise men, face to face with Christ. And when you do, you go, I know the only appropriate response is for me just to fall on my knees. Bended knee. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So if you'd like to. So you, isn't that something that, 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 that see, I think that's, that's, that's worship, and it's going like, hey, I want to respond to God that way with some enthusiasm. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So let's just pray, and then the band's going to sing, and then you respond to God with your worship. Father God, we come to you, and uh, Lord, there's so many things that we do worship, that we respond to with positive and positivity and enthusiasm, excitement and even joy. But Lord, this morning, what we want to do both individually but as a church, we're going to declare that what gets our first and gets our very best worship is you. And so just like on that first O Holy Night on this day, as we come to you, we come to you on bended knee, saying that you're Lord, both of all the world and all the universe, but also of our life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.